God, I acknowledge this morning that it is so easy for us to get caught up in things that run against what we say we believe. It's easy for us to say with our lips that we trust you, that we walk after you, and then try to engineer our own lives and the lives of others around us because we want to control the outcome. We seek peace and security and safety and prosperity. And even though we say that we can only find those things in you, how easy for it is it for us to just run and try to make those things happen on our own? Lord, I thank you that we live in a country where we do have a voice. I thank you that we live in a country uh, where we can speak out against things that we believe are right and against, uh, for things that we believe are right and against things that we know are wrong. And at the same time, God, I know how easy it is, even in my own heart, to place my own security in the hands of other people. To think that policies and, and, and laws and governments can make my life what only you desire it to be. And so I pray for this church. I pray for the Big C Church here in our country. God, would you bring us back to truly, truly, truly following you? Yes. That we would engage in our government, that we engage in our politics, that we would engage in what goes on here in our city and in our community with wisdom. Yes. That you would guide us in truth. Not truth that seems good to us, not truth that is convenient for us, not truth that is fashioned and shaped by what other people are saying, but truth that is based on you and your character and your goodness. Yes. I pray that we would see as people who live in this country that we, that this is ultimately not our home. Yes. That we are a part of another kingdom. That's true. Lord. A kingdom that will stand forever. Yes. And we serve a king who rules in righteousness yes, we do. and justice yes. and peace. Yes. So, Lord, we just humbly come to you this morning. We come to you on behalf of our gathering here and our church community here that we would be a light in this city. That as we follow you, that other people would see us and say, we know what God is like because we know them. And I pray for our government. I pray for our leaders. I pray that these men and women would turn to you and that they would lead our city and our state and our country in ways that line up with who you are. That we would seek justice and righteousness and truth. That we would be people of mercy and be people of grace. Ultimately, God, no amount of policy, no breadth and depth of government will ever provide this world for what it truly longs for, and that is your redemption. Amen. So as people who know that that's true, as people who look for that, 
knowing that you will come again someday and make all things new. I yeah. pray that we would live in that hope, that we would not become cynical or jaded or bitter, that we would not withdraw, but that we would engage with the light and the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Amen. We pray that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Amen. Over the last few Sundays, we have been talking together about how we change. How does God transform us from the people, the men and women we are today, into the men and women he desires for us to be? He has created us to be. Yeah. And we've been talking about this change within the broader context of what it means to be followers of Jesus. To practice the way of Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and not just label ourselves a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and not just somebody who goes to church week after week? Not somebody who engages in quote-unquote good things, but someone who truly follows Jesus Christ. What does it look like for God to change us and transform us along the way? We've talked about things like suffering and sacrifice being catalysts that God uses in our lives, moments and seasons of our lives where God brings us to a realization that the thing we should be afraid of is not being weak, but the delusion that we are strong. Bringing us to a point where all we have is Jesus and following him with everything we are. We talked about God changes us through community, that God changes us together, that what God does for us, he does in the context of community, that God didn't design this to be something where we follow. It's just me and Jesus, and that's all that matters. No. God has called us to follow him, to live life with him under his gracious and good and righteous rule together. Yeah. And oftentimes that's hard and that's difficult because just look around this room. Look, about, look at how many different people we have here. People of different cultures, of different races, different backgrounds different interests, different personalities. That, that is a beautiful thing, and that reflects who God is. But when you get a bunch of different people in the same room, living life closely together, there's bound to be conflict. And that we talked about God changes us not by running away from the conflict, but by engaging it and allowing the Holy Spirit yeah. to shape us and to form us and to mold us into people who love sacrificially love one another. Yeah. This morning, I want to spend the next few minutes looking together at a figure of speech that is peppered throughout the New Testament. The call to be awake instead of asleep. The call to live in the light instead of the darkness. And a lot of times when we talk about light and darkness and going from darkness to light or, or going from sleep to being awake, we talk about it in a sense of somebody becoming a Christian, somebody stepping out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, someone stepping out of just spiritual sleep and death and into a spiritual life. And certainly 
The Bible refers to that, but in these passages that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see that the danger of falling asleep is real, even for those of us who follow Jesus Christ. That we need to be encouraged and reminded and challenged over and over and over again to stay awake. So we're going to look at two passages here this morning. We're going to bounce back and forth. Two passages written by the Apostle Paul. The first is in Romans chapter 13. If you're using the blue Bibles around you, you will find that on page 552. And the second passage that we'll be in is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. You can find that, I believe, on 574. Romans chapter 13. We'll begin in verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes this. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Amen. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And now turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Paul again writes, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourself are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, There is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet of the hope and for a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The New Testament mentions the word sleep 22 different times. And often it's talked about sleep in the physical, real form of sleeping. But the writers of the New Testament often use this word sleep in a spiritual way as well. That falling asleep versus staying awake is often in connection with the darkness 
and the like. Common figures of speech back in that day in the ancient world. You can read across different literary genres, things that were written in that time, and you will see over and over again, this was a common motif, the light versus the darkness, being awake versus being asleep. And when we talk, when the biblical writers talk about being asleep, they're talking about a spiritual lethargy, a spiritual apathy, a spiritual turnoff switch that often happens not by our own choice, not as we see it coming, but we find ourselves in a space where gradually and slowly we are being turned off to the things of God. Mm. And often it's not an outright rejection. No. It's not an outright walking away. No. But we find ourselves slowly drifting into the darkness mm. and drifting into sleep. We are turned off to God. We are turned off to what God is doing in us. And as a result, we are turned off to how God has called us to live in community with each other. So I want to begin this morning by asking the question, how do we fall asleep? How does this spiritual slumber come upon us? How do we drift into being turned off to who God is? really is. And I want to give you five D's very quickly. Five D's of how we fall into sleep. And the first one is distraction. Distraction. And if you look up the definition for distraction, you will see something that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. Something that prevents someone from giving their full attention to something else. And often we get distracted by really good things, don't we? I mean, nobody gets distracted by bad things. <laughs> Those are things that we don't want. They're not things that we're looking for. But if you think about your life, so many of us in this room are inundated with good opportunities, right? Great opportunities. Think about your career opportunities. You know, you have opportunities for advancement and, and promotion to go into, uh, to move from, from one position to the next, to, to make a little bit mo more money, to gain in influence and, 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 and positions of authority in your workspace. You, some of you are part of jobs where you have the opportunities being given you to kind of scale up, to, to be trained to do something more than what you're currently doing. You're, we're constantly looking for better situations and keeping our options open. All good things, all good opportunities. Think about your relationships and the circles that you run in. You have friends here at church. You have maybe friends that, that you work with, coworkers that you see every day and that you spend time with maybe outside of work. Uh, maybe for those of you in school, you have school friends. And for parents, those of us who have kids in school, we develop friendships with other parents at our kids' school. We have neighbors, and we're constantly thinking, who do we spend our time with? I've only got this much time to spend with people. Who do I spend it with? I have so many relational circles and acquaintances and people that are coming in and out of my life. Good relationships, good opportunities. And if you're like me, you constantly feel like, man, I wish I could get more time with that person. I wish I could get more time with that person. I just don't have the time. Parents, 
Think about all of the good opportunities that you are given and are offered to you for your kids. So many sports you can put your kids in. So many after-school programs that your kids can be, in, be involved in. Every night, every weekend can be filled up with these programs and these sports and these opportunities for our kids to experience new things and to grow and to learn. And we don't want to deprive our kids of anything, right? We want them to have the best. We want them to take advantage of all these opportunities. But before we know, we have no time. We have no time because we're constantly driving around this city, spending so much time in our car, driving our kids from one thing to the next. Good opportunity, great opportunity. Think about the lifestyle that we want. We're, we live in houses that we're continually dissatisfied with. We constantly are seeing new things that we want to fix up, new things that we want to change, new furniture that we want to buy, different wall colors that we want to paint our wall. We're constantly checking out MyBoard and, and Realtor.com to see better houses in better neighborhoods and with better school systems that my kid is involved in now. And we're constantly thinking about how can I grow? How can I advance my lifestyle? How can I get to that thing that I want and that lifestyle that I want, we, that vacation, that trip that I want to take with my family? All of these things are great opportunities and are good opportunities. But if we are not careful, they can create a system of living for us, where we major on the minors, right? Yeah. Where we major on the minors, we let these good things become the best things in our lives. They get our best energy, they get our best time, they get our best relationship, relational strength and capacity. They control our schedules and they also feed our desire for the immediate and the casual. We get involved in these things, and it's like, if this thing doesn't give me what I want, or if this is not what I'm looking for really quickly, it's okay, because another new thing will come along that I can get involved in. We don't have time to really commit to something, so we stay casual, and we're okay with that. And we look at our lives, and we're like, well, I don't really need to commit to anything. I don't have the time to commit to anything. I was reading somebody this week and they described this as pathological busyness. That we live in a culture of pathological busyness. And because of that, we do not have time to be with Jesus or to do the things that Jesus did. And none of us looks at our lives and are like, man, I'm actively turning away from Jesus. Or I'm actively moving in a different direction than Jesus. But when we look at our schedules, when we look at our time, when we look at our energy, when we look at where our money is spent, where's it going? Are we following Jesus? Or are we following some illusion that we think is Jesus? The second D is disappointment. Disappointment. This feeling that life has not turned out the way that I thought it would. Life has not turned out the way that I hoped it would. This is not the career that I wanted to be in. This is not what parenting 
was supposed to be like. This is not the neighborhood I thought I'd end up in. These aren't the friends that I hoped I would have. This isn't the church that I really want. And we can live in this sense that life is just not what we hoped it would be. If you've ever been around somebody who's going through a recovery program, maybe you're familiar with the acronym HALT, H-A-L-T. A lot of recovery programs talk about the fact that, you know, being aware of what the, this acronym stands for, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, that these are triggers that can send those of us who, who have struggled with addiction back into that lifestyle. They're triggers that if we're not aware of, can lead us into a place of continual addiction and abuse. When I think about our lives, I think that we often need to be aware of these same things. Hungry. I mean, think about it. Think about the unfulfilled desires that you have. A desire for attention or affection, affirmation. Desires for acceptance. Desires for satisfaction, significance, safety, and security. All of these desires are good. They're God-given desires. They're how we were wired. They're things that should be pointing us to Jesus Christ, to our relationship with God the Father. But because of the actions of others, or maybe the season of life that we're in, maybe even our own choices, these desires are left unfulfilled and unmet. Because of that, we can just become disappointed and live in this perpetual state of disillusionment. And that leads us to anger. You know, the, the anger directed towards other people. Anger because of the life that we have. Anger at God for not doing what we thought he was going to do. And as we've talked about here before, anger is a healthy emotion. Anger is, is, is a godly emotion when directed towards the right thing. That anger can actually uh, uh, function as a warning light for us. That when we feel anger, that it can be like a check engine light showing up saying, hey, maybe there's something wrong that I should look at here. Maybe there's something that I should get checked out here. But very few of us ever take the time to really dig into where that anger is coming from. And we let that anger just simmer and boil and just fester over time. We're angry at somebody else because they haven't treated us the way that we think that they should treat us. We're angry at God because my life hasn't turned out the way that I wanted it to turn out. I'm just angry at myself for continually going back to this thing over and over and over again that continues to hurt me, that continues to hurt other people. We live in this low-grade sense of anger that eventually turns into bitterness. And that bitterness begins to eat us up from the inside out. We're lonely. Loneliness is different than being alone, right? Yeah. You can be lonely by yourself, but you can also be lonely around lots of other people. We feel isolated. We feel like nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody understands my season of life. Nobody understands how I'm wired and the things that really make me tick. 
and we begin to withdraw from other people. Sure, we're still around. We still come to things. We still go to people's houses. But inside, emotionally, relationally, we've begun to step back. And eventually, what we believe about other people, we start to believe about God. God doesn't really see what I'm going through. God doesn't really care that I'm experiencing this. Does God even have a plan? for my life, because it doesn't feel like it. And all of these things can lead us to just being tired people. Tired people. Life just wears us out physically, emotionally, spiritually. We're just tired of fighting day after day after day to walk with God when it seems so much easier just to do what I want what other people are telling me, what my family is pressuring me to do. The burdens that we carry for ourselves, the burdens that we carry for other people that we love and are in relationship with, they get too heavy. We're just grinding day in and day out. We just feel like we're trying to survive, just trying to keep our heads above water. We're just trying to tread water, but every day it just feels like we're sinking, we're sinking. We're sinking and we're just tired. This isn't how life is supposed to be. This isn't what I signed up for. We carry that pain. We carry trauma. Things that we've experienced. Things that have been done to us. And oftentimes we find ourselves in a place of despair. And we think, man, there's just no hope. There's no hope. Will this ever change? It turns us off to being able to experience God's presence in the midst of these things. It turns us off to tapping into his power and his ability to transform us, as we've seen over the last couple weeks, in suffering and in pain. The third D is duty. Duty. I think a lot of us are content with, quote unquote, just doing the right things. Just kind of going on autopilot. You know, life is hard, but you just got to get over it. You got to muscle through it. You just got to power through it. And a lot of times for us, that looks like just doing the right things. Yeah, we, we show up to church. We show up to missional community group. We, we listen. We participate. We even teach sometimes. You know, we give. We serve. All of these things are things that we should be doing. But it's so easy for us to just start doing these things. It just seems like this is what I should be doing. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to follow God. And all of those things are disconnected from God's spirit. All of those things, it's like what Jesus told the Pharisees. They knew the word. They searched the scriptures. They taught the scriptures. He said, you do all of these things and what did you miss? Miss me. We can do all of these things and we can be dutiful. We can be devout. We can be committed and we can totally miss Jesus himself. We can totally miss what the Spirit is doing. We do them because we should do them. We do them because we have the ability or the talent to sing or to teach. We totally miss 
God in the midst of. The fourth D is disobedience. Paul says the darkness is gone. The light has come. So put away the deeds of the darkness. And he talks about uh, another word picture here of, of uh, being asleep versus being awake. He talks about being drunk versus being sober. That we're out of control. That we're living for pleasure. We're making room, or in his words, making provision for the flesh. You know, to use an old fund fundy word, you know, debauchery. Right? <laughs> Excess, a life of excess, a life of indulgence. And when we think of that, we just think of some like dr stumbling drunk or some, you know, somebody out just living a life of just sexual fantasy and, and just all, you know. But probably no one in this room is in danger of that. Probably no one in this room is setting out to do that and to live that way. But how we see this in our life is just eventually we can get to a place where we may not say this to other people, but in our mind it's just like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care because I'm tired. I don't care because I'm lonely. I don't care because I'm just angry at life and I'm angry at God. I don't care because I want this thing and I can't have it. And we numb that pain. We medicate that pain. We find ways to blame what life has done to us, to blame what others have done to us. We justify living for the moment and just eating and drinking and be merry. Because what else is the point? It hurts too much to follow Jesus. It's too painful to face what I've experienced and what's been done. To me, this feels good. This helps me forget. This helps me survive today, this week, this season of my life. And the last D, deception. This is the most dangerous area because at this point, we don't even know. We don't even know that we're asleep. We don't even know that we're in darkness because our eyes have adjusted to it. No. It's just normal. It's normal. This is just life for us. Because over time, we've slowly become the arbiter of what is good in life. Slowly over time, we've become the authority on what is good for me. And again, none of us wakes up one day and says, you know what? God, I don't need you anymore. I don't care about you anymore. I don't care what you have to say. But over time, we can find ourselves because of our anger, because of our hunger, because of our loneliness, because of our, our physical and spiritual and emotional tiredness, we can get to the point where we don't even know we're asleep. We don't even know what is good anymore. I don't need you. I don't need God. I don't need help. I've got this on my own. 
Y'all, all of these are very, very real. The Bible doesn't waste words. Paul wouldn't have called these people to stay awake, to avoid falling asleep, if it wasn't a real possibility for them. These were people who knew Jesus. These were people who followed Jesus. These are people who had seen the life change and the transformation that knowing Jesus, the resurrected Jesus could bring. And yet Paul still, because he loved them, because he cared for them, because he was their shepherd, said, watch out. Watch out. Beware that you can fall asleep. So the question becomes, how do we stay awake? How do we stay awake? Look again at Romans 13. Paul says in verse 11, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light down to 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 8 and 9, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we stay awake? What does it mean for us to be people who walk in the light, who stay awake, who are sober? The first thing is, we need to be awake to the reality that God is doing something. Yeah. That God is at work. In both of these passages, Paul points to one thing. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And in 1 Thessalonians, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Yeah. This is not some kind of, you know, prophetic like timing. Paul's trying to figure out. He's actually saying, you guys are asking the wrong question. The Thessalonians were trying to figure out when is Jesus going to come back? Paul says, that's the wrong question. The question you should be asking is this. How should I live in the meantime? Yes. How should I live until Jesus comes back? Yeah. Staying awake means that we live like the future we've been promised is today. Yes. We live like the future that we have been promised, the hope that we have been given in Jesus Christ, that one day death will be defeated, that one day Jesus will come back. One day he will make all the sad things come untrue. One day he will make everything that is old and is rotten and is decaying because of sin and because of death. He will make it all brand new. Amen. And we will live with him forever in a righteous kingdom. In a yes. kingdom that is ruled by a king of justice and of mercy and of yes. love. Forever and ever and ever. Thank God. When you read the New Testament, you will see in these passages and others that there is a tone of readiness. Yeah. That there's a tone of the New Testament writers saying, be ready. Be ready because Jesus will come. You don't know when Jesus will come. And if you remember the story that Jesus told in Matthew 25 of the master who went away and he left his servants with something, right? 
And they didn't know when he was going to come back. But then he came back and each of the servants brought them, brought their master what they had done with the responsibility, the talent that he had given them, the money that he had given them. And the point was not, you better be on your best behavior because boom, I'm back. I'm back. And I caught you. I caught you. You weren't, you didn't expect it. But I caught you. That's not what Jesus, that's not what Paul is saying here. What they're saying is that Jesus, while Jesus is gone, it's like take advantage of the time. Yeah. Take advantage of the time. You don't know how much longer you have here. You don't know when you will die. You don't know when I will come back. The point is what we do in this life matters in the next life. Yes. What we do now matters for eternity. And we've talked about that here on Sunday mornings in the past, that over and over again, that the writers of the New Testament point to the fact that when we stand before Jesus someday, he will reward us for the way that we've lived our life here. He will reward us for our faithfulness. He will reward us for our obedience. Yes. That there's something about knowing and experiencing Jesus in this life that is important for us. And it's also important for this world to see us and to experience, experience us living life with God under the rule of God. We stay awake to the reality that God is doing something. We also stay awake to the reality that following Jesus is a war. Following Jesus is not self-help. Following Jesus is not therapy. Following Jesus is not self-discovery. Life with God under God's rule does not come naturally because living in the light means that we are living in conflict with the darkness. Yeah. In two weeks, we're going to talk here on Sunday morning about what that darkness is. Who is the devil? What is our flesh? What is the world around us? How, what does it mean for us to be people who live in conflict with the darkness? 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. While people are saying there is peace and security. This is one of these examples where it gets lost in translation for us. Because people in Thessalonica, living in this day, when they heard that phrase, peace and security, it's the same reaction. They would have had the same reaction that we would when we hear life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No. They lived in a Roman Empire. Some of you have maybe heard of Pax Romana. This idea that the, it was propaganda that the Roman Empire would, would say over and over again that as we conquer the world, we are bringing the world peace. We are providing the world security. Oh. And they would have heard this from the Apostle Paul and they would have immediately thought peace and security. The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. And for a long time, that's what people living in the Roman Empire experienced. Rome brought something to the world that it had never experienced before. Prosperity, culture, architecture, technology. And in Thessalonica specifically, by the time Paul was writing this, it was a city that was thriving. 
It was, a, it was an epicenter of trade and commerce and business. So much so that they had built a temple in the middle of the city to Caesar to worship him as the son of God as a way to say, thank you. <laughs> thank you for what you've brought our city. And Paul says to these people here, watch out. Oh. Watch out. Because you can be lulled into thinking that peace and security, that peace and that safety and that security that you're experiencing now is the peace and security that you were really made for. You can look at what the empire has brought. You can look at your life and you can be lulled into thinking, if I can just maintain this, oh. my life will be good. If I can do everything to engineer my life around experiencing the least amount of pain, the least amount of suffering, the least amount of hardship, then I'll be good. I won't have to worry anymore. I won't have to be, feel anxious anymore. I won't have to worry about money. I won't have to worry about where my kids go to school. I won't have to worry about job security. I won't have to worry about disease and sickness. If I can do everything that I possibly can to make sure that my life is filled with peace and my life is filled with safety and I feel secure, then that's what it means to really live. Paul says, watch out. Remember when Jesus said that you can't serve God and money? Yeah. What Jesus wasn't saying there is that you shouldn't think about money, that money is bad, that you shouldn't care about money, that money is not important to God. What Jesus' point was is that, man, when you start trying to serve something else, when you start seeking your security and your safety in something else, you will have no room for seeking security and safety in Jesus. Yeah. Paul says when people are crying out, peace, safety, life is good, boom, what happens? It's all taken away. What they thought was secure was not. Where there was peace, they only experienced God's wrath. The last thing, we need to be awake to the reality that we, apart from Jesus, are totally unequipped for this war. We are totally unequipped for this war. It is a war for our attention. It is a war for our affection. And in both passages, Paul makes it clear, we need Jesus. That put on language there. Put on the armor of life. Put on the armor of faith and hope and love. That's the, the, the Paul, Paul's trifecta there. Faith, hope, and love. Put on Jesus. Put on faith, believing that God is good. Yeah. Believing that what he says about us what he says about this world is true, that it is reality. Put on hope that Jesus is coming back. And it's not a wishful hope. It's not a man, I hope that that happens kind of thing. It is a solid, firm expectation that God will make good on his promise. And put on love. That when we have faith, 
when we have hope, when our eyes are directed towards God for our peace and for our security, then we will live lives of sacrificial love for one another. Because our eyes are not on ourselves. Our eyes are not on our issues. Our not, eyes are not on trying to achieve our own peace and our own safety and our own security. But our eyes are on Jesus and our eyes can be on other people. To love them, to meet their needs, to be Jesus to them. And that's what Paul ends 1 Thessalonians 5, this passage that we looked at. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you. Are doing. Paul says, I'm not, don't leave it up to me. It's up to you. Encourage each other. Challenge each other. Build each other up. Watch out. Beware. We need each other. We need each other to remind us of what is true. We need each other to remind us at for, uh, about what's at stake. We need each other to remind us and to point out where the danger is in our lives. And we need to encourage each other about how good Jesus really is. We need each other to, to remind each other and to, to proclaim to each other over and over again that life with Jesus, under the rule of Jesus, is truly life. It is the only life. It is the life that God created us to experience. Yeah. And it's the only life that will truly give us what we desire. God changes us and God transforms us when we participate with him. God's spirit lives in us, doing a work in us all the time, never stopping, never quitting. But God has also invited us into the process of change to participate with him as he transforms us. And that requires that we be awake, that we be aware, that we are aware of the danger and we are awake to what life with God is really and truly about. That's why each week we take this communion together. Because this is a symbol. It is an act. By taking the piece of bread and dipping it in the juice, we are reminding each other as we do it together that Jesus has died. That Jesus has risen and that Jesus is coming back again. And we proclaim that to each other. That's why we take this, is to remind us each and every week that we are in danger of falling asleep, that we are in danger of losing our way. We're in danger of walking in darkness. But because of what Jesus did, we have the very power and presence of God living in us and with us. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, to come and to take this. Maybe this morning as you take this, it needs to be a reminder for you right now to wake up. As you come and take this together, do it to proclaim to everybody else, I'm in this with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to encourage you along the way. We are going to stay awake together. So I invite you to come. If you're not a Christian, 
you don't know what that means, if you're wrestling with what that means, there's nothing special about this that gets you in good with God. This is just a, this is a symbol. This is a symbol of the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so if you have questions, if you want to talk more, you can talk to myself, you can talk to Pastor Nate, you can talk to Deb, you can talk to my wife Jody. We would love, we would love to share this life with you the words of truth with you. So I invite you this morning to come and to remember and to proclaim Jesus' death and his coming back again. Amen. Let me pray. God, we are in need this morning. We are in need this morning of being reminded that following you doesn't come naturally, that it just doesn't happen, that we need your power, we need your presence, we need faith and hope and love to guide us in light and in truth. And my prayer for us this morning is that both individually and as a community, we would be people who live in that hope that what has been promised to us in the future is a reality today. And so I pray that you would, your spirit would do work in our hearts, that you would expose our sleepiness, that you would bring into the light our lethargy and our apathy. And God, that you through your spirit and through this community here would help each of us along the way to walk in the light, to stay sober, to be awake, to be fully present to you, to ourselves, and to those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.